Our scripture this morning is <clears throat> from the end of John 13. We continue moving through the gospel of John. John 13, verses 31 to 38. Please stand for the reading of the Holy Scripture. John 13, 31. When he'd gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love. For one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me. Three times. May God add his richest blessing to reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? <coughs> Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the entrance of your word gives light. We're thankful that the Holy Scriptures are able to make us wise unto salvation, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would open our eyes by the power of your spirit that we would see him high and lifted up. We would hear his voice and follow him in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Can anyone tell if we are following Jesus? In the passage before us, Jesus says that the way people will know who his disciples are is by their love for one another. So, can anyone who watches us, this band of disciples assembled here on the corner of Kings Mountain and Presley Street, can anyone tell if we... The people of Clover ARP Church are following Jesus. Now let's look at the context. That night, Jesus gave what he called a new commandment to love one another. Let's look at it together. First, in this passage, you see the glory of God. Look at verse 31. When he'd gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. What's he talking about? Now is the Son of Man glorified. Is something impending, imminent. He says God will glorify him at once, now. It's something in the immediate future. And of course, 
In less than 24 hours, Jesus will be dead. God will be glorified in the cross. But notice first he says that he himself, the Son of Man, will be glorified in the cross. And God the Father will be glorified in the Son, in his death on the cross. Now this actually happened, didn't it? The cross has been associated with glory for nearly 2,000 years. The ancient world found it ridiculous that Christian believers worshipped a man who had been crucified. Paul says so in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You may have seen a picture of that ancient fragment of a cartoon from the first century, a, a primitive pagan ancient cartoon that has a man, a picture, a drawing, a crude drawing of a, of a man kneeling before a, a cross when on the cross is this awful a figure with the head of a donkey impaled on the cross and, and the caption, just like a modern cartoon, a ridiculous picture with a little caption underneath it. It says at the bottom, Alexamenos worships his God. It's poking fun. It was, it was poking fun at Christians in the first century for worshiping a man, for finding glory in the crucifixion of a man. But with Paul, we confess. And with Watts, we sing, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. There is glory in the cross. Of Jesus. D.A. Carson says the supreme moment of divine self disclosure, the greatest moment of displayed glory, was in the shame of the cross. Jesus glorified his Father to the point of death. You remember John said, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Jesus in his flesh revealed the invisible God whom no man hath seen at any time. And so Jesus said, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father, the invisible Father seen in the flesh of Jesus Christ and in the sacrifice of that flesh on the cross, we see the ultimate revelation of God the Father. God so loved the world that he gave his son. God is love. And here we see his love, who he is, the glory of God, ultimately, perfectly revealed in the blood and shame of the cross. 
see the glory of God. Secondly, you see the place we cannot go. The place we cannot go. Look at verse 33. Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And we understand They didn't understand it then, but we do now understand exactly what he meant. We cannot go with him to the cross. We cannot accomplish our own salvation. We cannot save ourselves. There was none other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us And no, Jesus must go to the cross alone. This is why Jesus will say in the next passage, no one comes to the Father but by me. He only died for our sins. And that's what it takes for us to get to the Father. It is our sin that has put a separation between us and God. And while there is sin, there can be no reconciliation, no restoration of our relationship and fellowship with our Father. But bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place condemned, he stood sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a savior. Do you understand this? There is nothing you can do to save yourself, to take away your own sin. Jesus says in effect, as we would say today, don't go there. Don't try to go there because you cannot go there. Where I am going, you cannot come. The most powerful sermon I ever heard in person in worship service was five years ago on Good Friday in 2013 the First Presbyterian Church of Columbia. Dr. Sinclair B. Ferguson That was just before he left the United States and went back home to Scotland. I remember after the service that Good Friday, I I saw an acquaintance of mine at the front of the sanctuary and I remarked that it had been some kind of powerful preaching that day and I'll never forget what the other fellow said to me. He said, that preaching today makes me wish I wasn't a Christian. I said, what? He said, that preaching made me wish I wasn't a Christian so I could get saved today. But near the end of that sermon, Dr. Ferguson mentioned that in the Philippines, on Good Friday, there is a custom where people are actually, literally crucified. They celebrate Good Friday in the Philippines, some people do, by reenacting the crucifixion. And men dressed as Roman guards actually flog people with whips and nail them to crosses with stainless steel nails. And they hang there for five or ten minutes 
and then they take them down and rush them to the emergency room. They really do that. And Dr. Ferguson said that if you went into the emergency room and asked these people, why on earth did you do that? They would answer, I did that to atone for my sins. You think you can atone for your sins? You think there's anything you can do to atone for your sins? Do you think that you can do enough good to outweigh the bad? You cannot atone for your sins. You can't be crucified for your sins. And the good news is you don't need to. You don't need to be flogged and nailed to a cross, not for five minutes, not for one second. It is done. Where I am going, you cannot come. So you see the glory of God. You see the place we cannot go. Thirdly, you see the new commandment. Look at verse 34. The new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now love is not peculiar to the New Testament. The Shema, the the greatest commandment, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. The Old Testament, the law of Moses. The first and greatest commandment, love. And in the second greatest commandment, do not seek revenge or bear grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Law of Moses. Old Testament, Leviticus 19, 18. So the command to love is nothing new. God commanded love thousands of years before Jesus came into the world. Why then does Jesus call it a new commandment? What makes it new is the end of verse 34. You see it? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Not that Jesus' love for us is new. He has loved us from all eternities. He's God. But think of the context here in John 13. Jesus has washed their feet. The picture of his blood. Jesus the Lord who knew that he was from God and was going back to God. He took the lowest place, the form of a servant and humbled himself and became obedient to death even. The death of the cross. This has never happened before. 
Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character never changes, yet still this had never happened before. The word commandment here in John 13, 34, in the Latin Bible translated by Jerome, it comes out to be the word in Latin from which we get our word mandate. That's also where the word Maundy comes from, as, as in Maundy Thursday. That's why it's been called Maundy Thursday. It was, it was on that Thursday night that we read about in John 13 at the Last Supper, the Passover, that Jesus gave his disciples their new mandate to love. You know, if an official is elected by an overwhelming majority, we say that he has a mandate. And Jesus is saying that his cross, his humbling himself, taking the lowest place, laying aside his glory and coming down to the point of shedding his blood. That's our mandate. Augustine said you might be ashamed to imitate a humble man than at least imitate the humble God. Look at verse 35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People will know if we're following Jesus if our life conforms to the pattern of Jesus. Jesus humbled himself and the Father exalted him. Jesus says, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now go back to verse 14, John 13, 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. That's what it means. To love one another. To take the form of a servant and humble yourself. You know, we mentioned a couple weeks ago in, in some traditions that, that they take that literally and have foot washing services. But, but what's the significance of Jesus washing his disciples' feet and then telling us that if he washed their feet, we should wash each other's feet? This is a picture of Jesus washing his people washing us from our sins in his own precious blood. That's how he forgives our sins, by shedding his blood. What's Jesus saying? As I've washed your feet, you also shall wash one another's feet. As I have forgiven you. you ought also to forgive each other. That's how you love one another. 
We live in a society in which there is very little forgiveness. Social media and the internet, nothing is ever forgotten anymore. There's no closet to hide our skeletons. And since forgetting goes along with forgiving, this modern computerized world makes forgiveness hard and rare. But what if people looked at the church? What if people looked at this church, this fellowship, and could see that these people forgive each other? They don't hold things against each other. They don't judge and criticize and condemn each other. They lift each other up. Everything about this world system, it pulls people down. But we read that the Lord Jesus put himself down in the lowest place so that he could lift us up to the highest place. And he calls us to do the same. And if we really do it, not just as individuals, you see at the end of verse 35, he says, if you have love one for another, that's corporate. That's the body assembled. If we really do it, the world will notice there's something different. Among these people. You see the glory of God. The place we cannot go. You see the new commandment. Fourthly and finally. You see the order of following Jesus. Look at verse 36. Simon Peter said to him. Lord where are you going? Jesus answered him. Where I'm going you cannot follow me now. But you will follow afterward." Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? Truly I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me. Three times. Now maybe you notice a bit of tension between point two and, and point three. Jesus said, we cannot go to the cross. But then he told us to love each other as he had loved us. And of course, that's the cross. Paul says again and again that we are crucified with Christ. So are we supposed to be crucified with Jesus Christ or are we not supposed to go there? Yes. The answer is found in verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow afterward. Peter doesn't understand this bit. I doubt any of them understood at that point about not going where Jesus was going. So he asked, and Jesus gives him the answer. 
you can't follow me now, but you will afterward. You cannot go with me to the cross now. You cannot die for your sins. I must save and I alone. But afterward, after I have saved you, after I have died for you, then you follow. Dr. Carson again says, Peter will follow later, not as a second lamb of God, but in the sense that he will follow Jesus in death and join him in glory. Of course, Peter says, I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you won't. Not then, anyway. The rooster's crow will announce not only the break of a new day, but the presence of a new chicken. What did Jesus say? I lay down my life for my sheep. It's not that Peter or we lay down our lives for him. No, he laid down his life for us. But one day Peter would die for Jesus. Not to save himself, but because He had become like the one who had laid down his life for him. Now Jesus did not say that martyrdom was the mark by which everyone would know we were his. No, we may be, but probably not. It's not the dramatic, heroic things. It's the little things Serving, forgiving. It's loving these people right here, right now. Every single one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.